everyone, welcome to Hello, everyone. Welcome to RNHA News Radio. I'm Robert Cross, and here's my co-host Eric Gonzalez. Hi, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for having me back again, Robert. Nice to be back. So recently, China has been doing perhaps the most oppressive crackdown since the incident in Tiananmen Square. Right now, China has recently passed legislation to take control of Hong Kong's elections, and this is in the wake of the pro-democracy protests. Some 10,000 people have been jailed without due process. The leaders can be in jail for up to 10 years to life. Remember, most of these people haven't even seen a judge yet or have been brought to trial. Being brought to trial in Hong Kong, they're being shipped to Beijing and mainland China. And the new law that has been passed by the Chinese parliament is focusing on electing patriots. So it will give the Chinese government in Beijing the ability to veto Hong Kong's elected officials if they don't follow the party line. Well, I find that interesting. Isn't Hong Kong kind of its own sovereign territory? Um, when I was in active duty, having, having visited there many times, that's what I was always under the, under the impression that it was a sovereign territory similar to what Singapore is uh, comparison to Singapore and Malaysia. Um, because of the influence of the, of the British government still impacting Hong Kong, I thought they were its own sovereign territory in a, the political aspect of it. I may be wrong. Hong Kong has a level of autonomy, but because of the way, basically the way China set it up is Hong Kong could be free and autonomous so long as they recognize the authority of Beijing. But for years, China has been slowly eroding the freedoms and electoral rights of the people in Hong Kong. And actually, the democracy protests didn't start with Trump. They started before Trump. In the Hong Kong uh, prime minister, who was a puppet of Beijing, tried to implement a law that would essentially allow extradition from Hong Kong to China places that Hong Kong did not have an extradition treaty with. And that, that's, I find that kind of the irony behind that. If you think about it, the uh, aspect of why China is doing that. And th- I just read an article the other day regard that they had indicated that the pro-democracy, um, pro-democracy China uh, protests were similar to those of what happened on January 6th. Now here in, in, in Washington DC uh, at the Capitol. Now I, from my perspective and my understanding of how things are, the, the, there was no storming, no surge, no insurgency, anything that happened on January 6th in, the cap, in our Capitol in Washington DC. So I don't know why they're indicating that that's what 
the these protests are emulating because there's nothing like that and, and they have also made the the in the comment that no one has died from their protests which i believe is incorrect because i think there have been plenty of people that have actually been shot by the chinese police correct there may have been some deaths that is true they 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 conscripted 10,000 police in they conscripted 10,000 police and were putting together armed forces they had already moved the chinese army into protestant cities that were very close to hong kong so the chinese government was ready to escalate this by far much further now part of what happened was is then the reason they were so concerned about this bill i was telling you about that got pushed through the uh, hong kong parliament or legislative body is because it would have given china mainland china extradition rights with hong kong and hong kong does not have extradition treaty with mainland china and that is extremely concerning to the people who are protesting because the Chinese government, unlike Hong Kong at the moment, doesn't have any form of due process of law. You can spend like 10 years in a jail cell. There, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's still people who back in the 70s did, were involved in the Tiananmen Square incident that have never seen a trial. And that's very interesting because isn't for it's the economic footprint, China, Hong Kong has its own marketplace compared to China's has its own marketplace as well. It's mainland China, I mean, because um, I actually visited the Hong Kong marketplace on one of the visits that I did uh, while I was on active duty. And it was pretty fascinating comparing to what I know of the New York Stock Exchange. Hong Kong has always been a major economic hub. In China, it became even more unbearable, and there was a, I, I can't forget where I had read it, or maybe it was one of the meetings I was in recently with several of my associates, but I believe it was either in an article or one of my associates that there was a, a well-known businessman, a billionaire in Hong Kong that was died mysteriously after coming out against the Chinese government. And basically what he said is if you allow the Chinese government to take over business in Hong Kong, we'll ruin business in Hong Kong. Right. I mentioned that briefly in, in our conversation. I think it was uh, two episodes ago about that. Cause that was, he's a, he was a very prominent Chinese billionaire or Hong Kong or Chinese dissident. That was a billionaire that lived in Hong Kong and having that had his business thrive while he was living there in Hong Kong. And he voiced his opinion on the fallacies that the, that the mainland China, Chinese government was doing by the control state process. The Chinese during the protests basically implemented a curfew in Hong Kong and prevented people from marching. So they started like breaking out and like dance mobs and like flash mob and they were arrested and beaten with billy clubs and gas china is cracking down hard on the message of democracy because it is a threat to china 
I, you know, I find that very interesting because uh, from just a, a sidetrack note of what I read an article last night uh, addressed by PragerU regarding the 1619 project and how that is being implemented nationwide in all public education systems. So that's kind of similar to what we're facing here comparatively to what is happening in China. And that's kind of bad, you know, because that, that, like we talked last week, the fall of our American Republic is reliant on patriots that are willing to stand up and fight back. Uh, when I was in taking genocide studies classes, a lot of modern European history classes, my, my mentor was a genocide major. He majored in the Holocaust. He said that it only takes 3%. And it, it's a scary percentage. 3% of the population to become radicalized to silence the other 97. That's interesting. That's very scary. And that, that, that's what we're seeing right now in the indoctrination education problematic issue that's going on in public education and higher education as well. A lot of times these social moves, this movements start out small and then they grow out of fear. It's the perception, not so much the actual force of the movement. If the movement is portrayed as having both physical force and popular opinion on its side, then it grows exponentially as it goes on. But we're digressing. One of the things that's like aspects that's going on is China. And it's very interesting because China had been cracking down on the riots before Trump came on the scene when Trump urged the protesters. Um, when he started to encourage it, it, it almost gave China the justification for the crackdown. And I don't want to slam Trump because we both know I love him to death. <laughs> but China is framing this. When you look at the way they, they are actually projecting this to the world, they are framing these people as anti-patriots. And part of the reason for that is these people were you know, advocating for Trump's reelection because of his hard line with China. And it just shows you how threatened they feel by this movement. Because if you have one the advocating for American style democracy in China, and it's the biggest city, like I'm pretty sure of China were to send in the army. <laughs> Oh. I, I know if, if we if we see that the issues that are happening here are kind of mirroring each other, especially with our the policy that's be, the policies that are being addressed in Congress, because if you look at the policies that are especially with the anti-gun HR one, all those policies that are coming to fruition in Congress are kind of mirroring what's going on in China right now. And look at how bad China is. Like, do we ever want to get to a point where we're afraid to have an extradition treaty with our own government? Like, the people in Hong Kong protest 
because they're terrified of the Chinese government getting a hold of their citizens. I'll just but wrap you know, your head. I, I want to. I'd like to frame the the issue that's going on with China within the, the the Chinese collective as a whole. You know, you got you got the Southeast. So the, the South China Sea is another issue. That's that's a separate topic on its own. But it's kind of tied in together if you think about the economic impact that China is trying to infiltrate and to demonize, not, I won't say demonize, but demarcate as far as who owns what, where, and how. Because if they can, if they can instill their power infinite on the South China Sea, that will basically eliminate Hong Kong for perpetuity. Kong, I don't think would be eliminated, but the South China Sea, it's interested that you bring it up because the South China Sea and Hong Kong have one key thing in common. They were both key factors in China losing the opium wars. Correct. And Chinese have never got over the gunboat diplomacy that was used during the 19th and the 20th century. Like, we literally, the West came in and blew the doors of China open. And I don't mean this metaphorically. I mean, they brought in warships and basically blew apart their navy and took over. Part of that is the reason why we see China emerging in the South China Sea. Because what we seem to forget is all of, like, South Asia, you get close to India and, like, Tibet and Nepal, those areas, all of that used to be China. Correct. You know, you know, Correct. Laos, Vietnam used to be called Indochina Correct. or French China. China was carved up and it has been a longstanding policy of China, not just the communist government, but made worse by the communist government of reasserting authority over the South China Sea, whether it's through military force or an economic block, because trying to regain the territory they lost in those wars in the in china did not have a navy or at least a functional navy when the west came in they did not modernize like japan did and you're absolutely correct and, and and now they are one of the better forces of military strength as far as when it comes to the military standpoint and the navy is concerned because when i was in active duty we could we were conducting operations there that were very interesting and depending on the day and the week and the month what well what we would see and the flavor of what we would see from their side and it depends on the level of political angst on their end as well considering how their fervor for us one thing that i think we should consider is especially as as a nation is maybe actually loosening the strings on Japan. Because what used to China in check, even though it was a military power is the other two major powers in the region. You had Japan to the South and you had Russia to the North. Mm -hmm. So China, even though it was a major military power had to contend with its two rivals so able to effectively come at the West now because of uh, Sino-Russian solidarity, 
in their because of their mutual communist ideals, they're more often than not sort of reluctant allies against the West. So that leaves only their only real power if we help build them up again would be Japan to balance them out or maybe India, depending on our relations with those two. But it is not it is not coincidence that there have been all these near hit and misses with these rockets China has been launching. There's not a coincidence with its presence in the South China Sea. China is making itself known that it has gained back its former imperial power in that it is trying to push us either into an economic confrontation or a war. Well, it and- wants its power back in it wants it what it viewed as its sphere of influence back. Correct. And, and you know, and, and, and I totally agree. And that, that's the ba- one of the basic foundations of the, the, the Eugene con- uh, conference and all those other conference, the, the pan, Pan-Asia issue is that they're, they're trying to info- influence their will on all those trees and all those organizations. Because if you look at the Eugene, China is one of the biggest players there. However, the other players that are there are trying to limit their powers because they know that they have a little bit more economic footprint, not just in the in the, the frame of the South China Sea, but once you go around the, uh, the Singapore Straits all the way up through uh, Thailand and, in, and Indonesia, as well as rolling into the Indian Ocean, there's a lot more influence there economically as well. And so that's why they're, they're trying to limit what China can do. I think it would be a good idea for the United States actually to continue making or continue to attempt to make a trade block like we have with the EU Correct. with Southeast Asian countries. Because it would cut China off from its source of influence in the South, and it would give us alternative trading partners. And it couldn't hurt to play China and Europe against each other as far as trading partners, like, or not China, but I mean Asia and Europe. China needs to be put in its place. Because the last thing we need is an, an emboldened China. China is a nuclear power. It can, it can easily field an army greater than anything that the United States and Europe can muster just because of its sheer size. It has amazing resources, a large army. It could probably field easily a hundred million soldier army if it wanted to. I, I agree. The, the, other, the other thing about that, though, is if you look about there's an organization here in the United States that does a military power strength index every year. Yeah. Naturally, we are, the United States is always number one. Currently, China is still number five. And the reason for that is not because of population, but because they don't really have one. Yes, they have nuclear power, nuclear capability, but they don't quite have the training down, the technological capability that can actually make them the world power. Because if they really had all those innovative technical advances there, like how we do, 
China would be the world strength in military strength, but they don't. And so that that's what I enjoyed under President Trump is he he brought the military, our military back to a, a level of strength. So that way, if we needed to, we could keep some a country at in check if we need to, like for example, China, because of our military might, not based on population and numbers of service members serving, but because we have the capability to do that with our infrastructure within the military complex. Mm. But China also has a scary history of modernizing really quickly. Agreed. So if like China lost, China murdered 45 million of its own people to modernize and bring it to an, an imperial level of strength during World War II. Like at World War II, China was not as modernized as it should be, but by the end of it, it probably could have contended with any of the world powers at the time. If it wanted to, it could easily modernize. And it's scary because China really doesn't care about losing that many people. It doesn't care about how it looks. And I'm not saying that you're wrong. We need a strong military to put China in check because China is not going to risk nuclear war with the United States. But at the same time, we need to maintain our influence in the South China Sea because as soon as they start gaining influence and we start losing the support of the other Asian nations, we could lose our foothold there, even if it's just economically. We need to always make sure that China is number two and that it knows it. We can't give them an inch because they'll take a mile. And that, that's where I, I am leaning that under the Biden administration that we're going to lose our footprint not only in the South China Sea, but in the Asian countries in general, not only on the far Eastern coast, but also on the Western coast, because we're not gonna have the capability to be able to monitor any conflict that arises. It's not just monitoring. I don't think he has the spine to deal with it, honestly. Correct. Like he was the vice president when Benghazi happened. I didn't hear him come out and tell the American people the truth. Hey, Obama and Hillary screwed up. Yeah. You know, all these American people died because they failed to do their jobs. Right. And then there was what? The Iran one scandal that happened under the Obama administration where we ended up selling a whole bunch of nuclear materials to Russia. Correct. And then not, not to mention... The spineless act of letting 20 of our service members in the Riverine squadrons getting uh, picked up in the Persian Gulf. It is a it's a sad truth, but you need a strong hand when dealing with certain countries, the Middle East, North Africa, parts of Central Africa and China are all hostile. They're filled with terrorists. Terrorists, dictators, communist countries, and people who commit genocide and mass murder for kicks. Correct. And then let's not forget what, what, what other country is in the Asian continent, Cambodia, who had one of the largest genocidal acts in, in Cambodia under Pol Pot. Yeah. There's Cambodia right there. Um, there was a, a right across the a um, Myanmar border. Correct. In Myanmar, 
Yeah, there was, there's a huge genocide going on. Yeah, and not, ethnic cleansing. Yeah, and you know and that, that that's the problem with that region is that their their strife to conduct ethnic cleansing or genocide at any given moment without any repercussion, and I don't think under a Biden administration they they would be willing to force the hand to say hey you know what you better stop that and I know the UN won't do them anything because the UN is in their hand pocket as well. The UN is a joke. Correct. Agree. I mean, I'm doing research right now, and the UN is investigating human rights violations and the stuff that I'm researching that will be out later this week. Okay. And the EU sponsored, I'm not going to get too much into detail about it, but the EU sponsored this campaign. And the UN and the EU are investigating the human rights violations for the program that the EU sponsored. <laughs> I, wonder, I, I wonder how far that's going to go. Exactly. Just, just, like, just like the UN's 30 goals for the millennia. Goodness. How do, you, how do you suppose to investigate human rights violations when you have the biggest violators of human rights on the UN's exactly. human rights cancel? Exactly. It just shows the, the juxtaposition of, of how crazy and how out of touch the UN and their infiltrators are. And the other thing is the UN more often than not will scold Western nations yes. for things that Eastern nations do. Like I'm doing research on this. The article will be out later this week. I don't want to get into it too much because it will take us away from what we're talking about. But the UN is scolding Spain for an artificial migrant crisis that was created during the COVID lockdowns because Morocco wouldn't open its border. And Spain at the time didn't have any like decent housing set up for these people to stay because you know the pandemic hit everyone out of nowhere correct but in the eyes of the un it's spain's fault correct like spain can control when and whom morocco lets across its border and And that's just a fallacy in failed communist socialist doctrine you know and then that that's how you know that when, when they're when they're starting to complain or to internalize and to regulate some of our most prominent allies then you know that something is really wrong with the, with their infrastructure and and i'm glad that that president trump took out a lot of them took away the money that we are paying to there because it was astronomical what we were paying to them it was ridiculous the truth is that you should not be giving money to anyone except our allies or people that we are developing into allies. Like, I don't see why we should be giving, you know, and even uh, Ron Paul brought this up. Like, why are we giving like $25 million to Pakistan? Why not just take the $25 million and I don't know, repave the streets in Chicago, fix some of the infrastructure in the U.S. Like, why are we developing infrastructure in foreign countries and not investing that money in the U.S.? 
I mean, I'm not, I'm not a huge person for extravagant spending by the government, but if you're going to do it, why not just do it in the U.S. to make the U.S. better? And that, that's the problem <laughs> with the Biden administration. They're back to, which has always been the problem with previous administrations of putting America last. Since Reagan and, and then in, in putting America first, like President Trump did again, you know, that, that, that's where the biggest arguments that I have is for people to understand is when you have a, an administration, the Biden administration, that put America last in public policy for everything. And what people don't understand and realize is how much money that in that COVID-19 package is actually going to the Wuhan laboratory where the COVID-19 was actually created. That would be an interesting uh, tidbit. Yes. You know, it's, 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 and I think we're coming up on our time, aren't we? Not yet. No, okay. We have time. What I was going to say, though, is especially when we, we, we're looking at China and all these things that are going on with China and the UN and all of the spending, there never seems to be any accountability from the Democrats to these nations or to the American people. Like, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Trevor Noah, mm-hmm. the south african comic who's on uh i think he run yeah i think he runs the daily show now um i remember watching a clip of it where he's showing uh south african nations like really nice cities and then he shows detroit next to it which basically looks like a shanty town correct so why are we spending like millions of dollars investing in the Wuhan lab in China, all these, uh, you know, all these foreign countries, when we have cities that are similar to them here in the United States, like why aren't we investing in Skid Row in, in California or investing in, oh, you know, fixing our border or anything that would be useful they just don't care. And the, the sad part is you're spot on. And it's not going to hold to the pro-American agenda. And he's not going to hold up against China. And all the progress we made with China and Russia is going to go out the window. And, and, the, and it already, the evidence is already being presented to us that he will not. Because... The minute day one he was in office, what did he do? He started lifting sanctions on China. The tariffs that President Trump had put in, he put basically repealed those. And you know we needed those tariffs and, and uh, sanctions in place to keep China in check, or else they would actually continue to manipulate our level of trade economics. I. C- can't remember what country it was, but one of the countries Trump put tariffs on had a hundred and fifty percent tariff on our goods. Yes, he put a twenty-five percent tariff on them. Twenty-five percent. They dropped the tariff down to thirty-five percent because the U.S. put a twenty-five percent tariff on it. If Biden continues to repeal the tariffs, especially on China. 
we are never going to straighten out the trade imbalance. China is not going to import more of our goods, and we're going to continue importing more of their goods and go further into debt. You cannot have a successful, thriving nation with a trade imbalance. And, and that's exactly what, what the Obama, I'm correction, the Biden-Harris administration wants to do is make it to where the U.S. is no, no, no longer the number one economic power in the world where they are allowing China to manipulate every aspect of trade around the world, making them the trade center of capital of the world. Remember back in uh, probably during the Cold War, yes, the United States and the USSR was back. We were the two former, we were the powers then. China was, not, was still struggling to survive. But then as the USSR started to evolve into what we know as Russia and then now the Commonwealth of Russia, we saw what happened there because the people there are starving just as bad as almost like it was in, in Venezuela. But now with, with China coming back into power economically, utilizing the infiltration of advanced technology to be able to say, okay, well, if your country is inventing certain things like Apple, things like that, we're going to manipulate that market. So that way we can make our own type of Apple product and sell it to our country here. And then, oh, by the way, we're going to import it to your country and have people buy it. That has always been a problem in China. China, one of the reasons the opium war started to begin with is we were, we were basically shipping opium to China to get silver. Well, not us, but you know the British and all other Western nations were. And they did it because China refused to trade. Basically, China wanted you to sell stuff to the middlemen. And then the middlemen would sell it for higher profits they wanted complete control of foreign goods going in and out of China. That is the same issue we're having today with Chinese monopolies. Like our companies who are not monopolies are having to compete in the international market with Chinese monopolies. And they're not just Chinese monopolies, they're government mono mandated monopolies. So these are government stooges that are given basically control over specific businesses and specific sectors of the economy it's all arranged by the government it's not capitalistic it's not even fully communistic it's almost like mercantilism where you have the government control the the monopolies and that that gives you the, the true oligarch outcome where you just have those who have continued the bloodline it for example so that's how it happened that's what's going on in china they already have in place have put in place those companies that are government structured governed and regulated by the government to be able to provide those products and that's the problem that we have with the biden administration that he's willing to allow that to infiltrate into our economic footprint well, we already saw that under the Obama administration, which he was a key player in, the bailouts to the banks, where the government was funding the banks to keep them from imploding, and then getting like shares in the banks. Like, we don't want a nationalized banking system the way that, you know, other places do. We want competition. 
But you can also see that in the barriers of entry, like with Obamacare and all the regulations that prevented uh, insurance companies from competing nationally. Like we could drop the price of insurance probably $100 per person if we just basically said that you cannot restrict insurance by state or region. You have to allow them to compete nationally and internationally. If we opened insurance up to the international market, prices would go down drastically. Well, and, and, you, and you, we saw that before Obama and Obamacare came to fruition that people were paying $500 almost annually comparatively now where they're paying $1,500 monthly. So now, now families have to decide, individuals have to, have to decide, do we want food on the table or do we want to pay for insurance? Thankfully, and under President Trump, he eliminated the, the, the individual mandate, which was basically a fraudulent use of government out over, oversight. But now Biden has, has implemented back the overreach of the government mandate the individual mandate i don't think can put and be put back in effect because that was repealed by a law so a law would have to go through congress unless it already has you know there's a lot of things that are being done under the table by the democrats but i mean i wouldn't put him past him for trying but i think we are about out of time so i'm going to give you final thoughts and then we're going to queue out all right. Well, I don't have much to say right now, but just uh, again, thank you, Robert, for having me on board for Origin News Radio. We look forward to our next episode next week or the week after next. We just uh, look forward to that. Thanks for having me on. Okay, everyone, stay tuned for RNHA News. We'll have more episodes to come.